The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, good morning, almost good afternoon. Um, Man, the sun finally came out, so a little bright today, loving that. It's awesome to see uh, into September some great weather, so hopefully you're able to enjoy that. I know those outside hopefully are enjoying it sitting here, uh, so glad you guys are here. If you're looking through a windshield, we're glad you're here. If you're looking through a computer screen, maybe at home or wherever you might be today, we're glad you're here. And of course, in person, it's really great to speak to people in person because it's been so long, so welcome you guys. Um, if you're looking for a place we're going to land, it's going to be John chapter 6. If you got a Bible with you, you can turn there. And um, today is part five in our series, Soul Food. And my hope has been, because this this series is anchored around the book Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, um, my hope has been that you're able to gather some tools just to navigate life. Today, we're going to end the series with one of the last chapters in the book called The Dark Night of the Soul. And um, again, I've heard some great stories of people that have bought the book, and some of them have gone through uh, the book as a couple. Others are doing it as a group over Zoom. Um, some people kind of in person in small groups. But I love hearing that people are, are walking through this journey, not just as a series on a Sunday, but personally. And if you haven't bought the book yet, I definitely encourage you to do that. It's got so much more in it than what we can try to tackle in a series. And of course, never to preempt scripture. Um, uh, uh, we're, we're looking at the scriptures and, and, and what the Bible has to say in this conversation. So like I said, we're going to land in John chapter 6. If you go back to the book and in that chapter, The Dark Night of the Soul, it starts out with these sentences. And I want you to think about this. It says this, if you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, the number one reason will be suffering. If you ask people who believe in God when they grew the most spiritually, the number one answer will be suffering. And I pause because I want you to think about that for a moment. It's amazing how two people can go through similar tough experiences, and of course each person is unique, but go through two uh, tough experiences and, and come out with two different conclusions. One would be, well, God must not care or whatever, and the other would be, man, I want to lean in. In the midst of this, I want to lean in to my faith. And that's where, uh, there's some more quotes I want to read, but we're talking about this whole idea of suffering in the dark night of the soul. John Ortberg says this, because the soul is the deepest expression of the person, the soul is the place of the greatest pain. God works to change us, not just through joy and light, but works to change us. uh, Oops, excuse me, lost my place there. Not just through joy and light, but through confusion, through disappointment, through loss. The dark night of the soul is not simply the experience of suffering. It is suffering what feels like the silence of God. In the early days of spiritual life, the soul often finds delight in devotional activities, in reading the Bible, in hunger for worship, or longing to pray. We may think this is a sign of maturity. It is really more a kind of honeymoon phase. And I don't want to minimize those things because those are great disciplines. He goes on to say, but there will come a time where God will bid them to grow deeper. He will remove the previous consolation of the soul in order to teach us virtue. 
It is important to understand that the dark night of the soul is not the soul's fault. Of course, it is possible for me to grow cold toward God um, because I cling to sin or I prefer an idol or I simply become lazy. These are real occurrences that require a wise response, but they are not the dark night. Listen carefully. The dark night is God initiated. There's an old illustration that was used to teach uninterrupted intimacy with God as the normal for successful spiritual life. It never failed to add guilt to spiritual dryness. It's a picture of intimacy with God that's as old as bench seats in the front of cars. A husband and wife are driving together. She says to him, when we were dating, we used to sit next to each other while you drove. You would have your arm around me. I would lay my head on your shoulder and I felt so loved. Now look at the distance between us. And the husband replied, who moved? Now here's the clincher. In the dark night of the soul, it is God who moved. And by the way, this is going to rock some of our theology because we're so used to this idea that as we follow God, things line up well. When we follow God, there's a constant sense of a, you know, joy and everything's always good. And that's not always the case. And so he says this, God's love is not content to leave us in our weakness. And for this reason, he takes us into a dark night. He weans us from all of the pleasures by giving us dry times and inward darkness. No soul will ever grow deep in the spiritual life unless God works passively in that soul by means of the dark night. Now I'm going to read a bunch here, so follow along. But again, there's so much that to me is worded so perfectly here. It says this, we have a hard time with the dark night. Our churches are practical places, and we generally tell people that the answer to any spiritual problem is more, more giving, more prayer, more serving, more trying. But John says is the opposite. When the soul begins to enjoy the benefits of the spiritual life and then has them taken away, it becomes embittered and angry. There are some who become angry at themselves at this point, thinking that their loss of joy is a result of something they've done or they've neglected to do. They will fuss and fret and do all they can to recover this consolation. They will strive to become saints in a day. Listen to this. They will make all kinds of resolutions to be more spiritual, but the greater the resolution, the greater the fall. And here's the answer. Their problem, and see if this doesn't resonate with you, their problem is that they lack the patience that waits for whatever God would give and whenever God chooses to give. They must learn spiritual meekness, which will come about in the dark night. Now, what I'm about to read is a little controversial, but listen, what we do in the dark night, or what do we do in the dark night? We do nothing. We wait. We remember that we are not God. We hold on. We ask for help. We do less. We resign from things. We rest more. We stop going to church. We ask somebody else to pray because we can't. We let go of our need to hurry through it. You can't run in the dark. Now, I read all that because it makes me think of this idea when you think about trees in the Psalms and and the end of the the Bible in Revelation, it talks about a a tree's planted by the living water, but you see leaves. 
and you enjoy the beauty of the leaves and, and the fruit that you can, you can nourish yourself with, but the roots are the essential. The roots are what grow deep, and the deeper the roots grow, the less they're swayed and impacted by, by the elements above ground, and yet roots are ugly and, and dirty, and you don't see them grow. And that's the conversation today I want to have with you because there's something about your need and my need to grow deep that God refuses to keep us from certain challenges, from certain disappointments, from certain confusions, from certain pain, because he knows in the midst of it, we have the opportunity to grow deeper that would never happen if things were always only good. See, Jesus used words like these, come to me when you're weary and heavy burdened. And I want you to notice when Jesus says that, the word is not if. Hey, if you ever happen to have something bad happen, come to me. No, no, he says when, I believe, meaning every one of us is going to have it happen. When it happens, come to me, Jesus says. See, he also said this, in John chapter 12, if you're taking notes, John 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Why did Jesus talk like that? We'll get to that in just a second, but the, the, the thing about life is this, our hope will be challenged. Our dreams can die. We experience loss. Years ago, we did a series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And we talked about how biblical principles run opposite of the world we live in, where, where, where we learn to humble ourselves to be exalted, where we learn to give in order to receive. And in fact, we learn in scripture, die in order to live. And so Jesus in John 12 predicts his death and then dies and then is buried and the disciples is, are scattered and hope is lost and the dream is dead. It looked like everything was over, that's it. What do we do now? Where do we go from here? That guy that we thought was the Messiah, he's dead. See, it's sometimes sad for you and I because we kind of know the end and it makes us overlook what was going on here. Jesus had said in John 12, a kernel of wheat must fall to the ground and die and it will produce many seeds. Jesus died and we know, yes, was resurrected, but the idea of his death produced many seeds, the seeds of salvation for the entire world. 2,000 years later, you and I finding forgiveness finding a new beginning, finding life abundantly in Christ because of that seed that was sown on a cross and in a tomb 2,000 years ago. It's, it's this whole idea of Jesus' death was the salvation of the world. What the jealous and the religious leaders of Israel saw as Jesus' defeat was that seed being planted. And when it comes to defeat, and when it comes to disappointment, and when it comes to confusion, and all that you and I experience, it really isn't the end. Maybe, just maybe, although our finite minds can't see it all, maybe, just maybe, God is doing something that we don't get. And so we're challenged in a song like we sung a little bit ago, 
tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Well, what is trust about? Trust is leaning into something even though we don't understand all of it, even though we don't get all of it. See, in the world you and I live in, it's like, where is the truth right now? There's there so many things that we feel, well, that, that seems political or that seems motivated by something else. Where's the truth? And yet that's where for you and I, God, I, I'm trusting you even though I don't get it right now, even though I don't see it all right now. It's why we're challenged to pray for our leaders because dear Lord, give them wisdom. They gotta make big decisions. They gotta figure things out. Think about for you, you're trying to make decisions for your kids and school and, and Zoom meetings and all this stuff that feels overwhelming. Multiply that by 10 and 100 and 1,000 and a million. And that's the picture of some of our leaders that are trying to figure out what decisions to make, what to do. It's not always easy and my hope would be it causes us to extend a little grace towards so many that need it. Let me ask you this. Where in your life have you experienced disappointment? Where in your life have you experienced loss? Where in your life have you experienced hurt? Confusion, disillusionment, betrayal. Where have you experienced those things? And maybe you and I in the midst of those things are being asked by God to let go to let go of your need to control, to let go of your need to understand, to let go of your need to think you've got to get it all lined up and then you're okay. Because if you haven't learned by now, you're not gonna ever understand everything. And maybe as you're being asked by God to let go, maybe it's to let go and let him work in a way that only he can so that when maybe he gives whatever it is back, it looks the way God intends. Or maybe you're asked to let go so that God can offer something new in place of what you lost. Or maybe you're being asked to let go simply because your faith ultimately must rest in him. See, when we experience loss or disappointment or confusion or heartache, when we experience the dark night of the soul, we have two options. And it really is as simple as this, and it may be oversimplified, but it's like this. We either fall away from Christ. Well, God doesn't care. Well, I quit. Well, I've tried. Well, this isn't good enough. I haven't done the right things, and somehow God's making it too hard. I quit. We fall away. Or maybe, just maybe, we fall toward Christ. I think about the deepest, darkest times I've experienced, and I'm not up here because I'm perfect by any stretch. But in the darkest times I've personally experienced, I've seen my faith grow like no other time. And I think there are so many of us that can vouch for that very thing. In the deepest, darkest, most challenging times. Okay, God, how do I lean in right now? Okay, God, what does it mean for me to draw near to you? Okay, God, it feels like you are a million miles away, but I know by truth, you're not walking away and you don't leave me. If you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, the number one reason will be suffering. If you ask people who believe in God when they grew the most spiritually, the number one answer will be suffering. There's a story as he wraps up 
as he gets towards the wrapping up of this chapter that I want to read John Ortberg, who was a staff member at Willow Creek Community Church, and his friend Dieter, they were both part of the staff, says this, Dieter and I had worked together in Chicago at Willow Creek Community Church. He was an artist, a musician, and teacher. Willow Creek was at the time perhaps the highest profile church in the country, and Dieter was its highest profile worship leader. He led worship with so much vigor that at times he literally left blood on the keyboard from cracked fingernails. Gross. He led with such energy that we actually had to stop doing certain songs because people in the balconies jumped around too much and the facility engineers were afraid the whole thing would come down, a kind of joy-driven variation of Samson and the Philistines. Dieter loved the writings of Henry Nguyen, a Dutch-born Catholic priest and prolific author. I remember having a long discussion with him about Nguyen's reflections on a verse in the Gospel of John. Jesus told Peter that as a young man, Peter had gone where he wanted, but when he was old, Peter would be dressed by other hands and led where he didn't want to go. Fast forward in the story, we know Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. We were young men then. The vulnerability of aging was poignant to us. One night, when Dieter was in his late 40s, he began to shake violently. He suffered a massive stroke in the left hemisphere of his brain. When he awoke six days later, he was no longer able to communicate as he had. He had to learn to say his wife's name, to say his son's names. He could no longer use his right hand and therefore could no longer lead worship. The music and words that flowed out of him were now mostly trapped in his brain. He used to work on a stage before thousands of people who applauded his every move. Now he works in a windowless room in the back of a Trader Joe's grocery store. He breaks down boxes. When fruit is bruised, if a pear falls on the floor, when any product is no longer regarded as perfect, it is brought to Dieter. From him it will go to feed the hungry, who don't care if their apple is lopsided. Dieter once wrote in a letter, it is good that I work here. I am like that fruit. I am imperfect. I am inside the same person, the same sense of humor, the same thoughts, but my words betray me. What should take three minutes to say is an hour of frustration. People lose patience with me. Aphasia means aloneness, but God hears me. My world is small and quiet and slow and simple. No stage, no performance, more real. Good. A year or so after Dieter's stroke, he and his wife Val visited Nancy and me. He used a small whiteboard to help him communicate. Toward the end of our time together, he began to write a Bible verse. I knew which one even before he scribbled it on the board. John 21, 18. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will lead you where you do not want to go. Then below that verse, Dieter wrote, good. Whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In John chapter six, Jesus had just fed thousands of people. And it's another moment after this where he's teaching and the crowd shows up, but he knows in his heart that they came because they just want a meal. And he takes an opportunity to try to share with them the parallel in the idea of a physical meal of bread and that he is the bread of life and the parallel and the idea of Moses and, and the manna in the desert and all this stuff. 
And the crowd is, is, is not understanding what's going on. And Jesus, as, as there's this confusion about it, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have anything to do with me. And the crowd is so distraught at the thought of cutting Jesus up and eating little pieces of him that, that people begin to walk away. And, and today, in context, we really do understand he wasn't talking about actually eating flesh and drinking blood. He was talking about embracing the entirety of the physical sacrifice that he would make for your sin and my sin. But the crowd and their misunderstanding, they begin to walk away. Says the disciples, there was more than the 12, there was hundreds and maybe thousands of people that said, I follow Jesus until this moment. And as the crowd began to disperse and people that were disciples began to walk away, Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you wanna go away too? And it's Peter. And I love this because in the deep pain I've experienced, this here is my favorite story. In pain, this is my favorite story. Because Peter says, where are we supposed to go? You're the one with words of eternal life. John 6, verse 68. See, in your pain, in your confusion, in your disillusionment, in your hurt, in your betrayal, Jesus at some point is gonna turn to you and say, what do you wanna do? What do you wanna do? And while you may not hear it audibly, while you may not, that's the moment where when I've come to points like that, my response is simply this, where am I gonna go? Where am I gonna go? I've been following you, Lord, for 28 plus years now. And in the darkest times, all I've learned is to lean into you and I'm not perfect. And I've gotten frustrated, angry, and disillusioned and all that. But in the end, as I've worked through certain dark soul or dark night of my soul times, it's me and Jesus where he says, what do you want to do? And I hope and pray that your response, that my response can be like Peter's response. Where else am I going to go? I'm on the rock. I'm leaning into my faith. I don't get the journey. I don't understand why this is happening. And especially in a world right now where in so many ways, this is happening. Where am I gonna go? You're the one that has the words to eternal life. You're the one that I lean on. And as we end this entire series, it's my hope that as we wrap it up, you find yourself in whatever moments you're walking through and however dark certain things get because it happens in our lives. It does. That Jesus in that moment is there going, hey, what, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to do here? And my prayer, and I pray it all the time, by the way, for us, God, in the midst of the darkness we face, whether it's a prayer card that you fill out that we pray for every day, because we do. When you, if you fill it out online, we pray every day for whatever it is you wrote down. Lord, you are the one with eternal life. Where else would we go? And that's my prayer, Jesus, today. 
that in a world of sharp left turns, words that I've said so many times in this message, it echoes in us, disappointment, disillusionment, betrayal, pain, confusion. All these different words that it's in those moments, in the dark night of our souls, that while we don't understand everything about what's happening or why it's always happening, and it'd be easy to say, well, pray more. And that is good advice. Read scripture, great. But sometimes it's about leaning in, trusting when we don't understand the entirety of the journey. And God, again today, I pray that we would be like Peter. That as Jesus turns to us in the moments of disillusionment, what do you wanna do? That you're right there asking us and that our response would be to you, where else in the world are we gonna go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. Jesus, let that be our response because we're growing deeper in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, like I said, that's the end of this series. And and I mentioned buying the book, grabbing it on Kindle or or buying a physical copy and going through. I encourage you to do that because like we barely scratched the surface here. A couple other things to be aware of. Um, We are helping and partnering with the Salvation Army for our community um, just for for a school supply drive. I know that with school being at home and, and online and stuff, um, you can go, well, is that really needed? But the truth is it is needed. There are certain families that, that it's not so easy to buy, you know, the notebooks and pens and pencils and things that they need at home. And so we're partnering with them. And I encourage you, if you got stuff today, we mentioned it online uh, this week. We mentioned it on the e-news. If you brought stuff, feel free to drop it off on your way out. If you didn't, maybe you forgot, maybe pick up a few things today, tomorrow, the next couple of days and, and Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, during the week, you can drop by and, and swing it here and we'll drop it off all together. Right now, we've got a whole bunch already, but if you got some more, we would love to see that happen. Just continuing to reach out to the community. I want to say personally, thank you um, just for your continued financial faithfulness. Um, Obviously, we're trying to still be the church and love our community and make a difference. And so your giving is a big deal. We appreciate that faithfulness. If you drove up today or you walked up, you can drop some stuff off in the bins on your way out, the connect card and giving, but you can also give online. It's really easy at grove.church. Click on that give link. And again, we just appreciate you doing that as we try to stay above water and move forward with God's mission because there still is one. Uh, So we want to continue to do that. Thank you for your faithfulness. As you leave today, um, if you walked up, we're going to have you guys dismiss first and head to your cars, maybe over here, possibly you parked down here, and then we'll have um, the the vehicles make their way out. Just follow the parking crew and just be respectful of the process because it takes a little bit of time for some of you guys. So just be patient. We appreciate that. Otherwise, um, God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for being here. If you need prayer on your way out, we do have a prayer line back over here, the parking crew. If you do want that, just turn on your four-way flashers. We'll do that. Um, And of course, if you're online, you can click that prayer link and fill out a prayer card. God bless. Have a great week. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.